Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest weekly podcast. It's myself, uh, John Cross and my colleague Andy Dunn from the Daily Mirror. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to this weekend's Manchester Derby and all that brings um, a few reflections back on the Carabao Cup final. What does that mean long term for, for Maurizio Pochettino? Um, now it's, it's going to be an anxious uh, rest of the season. And Everton have had their say and uh, had their points reduced. Um, I'm sure Andy will have lots to say about that. And um, you know the rights and wrongs in that, and then also how's the rest of the season play out? Is the relegation um, battle effectively on hold um, because of lawyers? I mean, it, yeah, it certainly feels it. But let's start, shall we, Andy, with with um, City v United this weekend, Manchester City. I was at Luton um, on Tuesday night um, to see. I mean, it was an Erling Haaland masterclass, wasn't it, in finishing, but also Kevin De Bruyne. Wow, can I help you, sir? Wow, is absolutely astonishing. Four assists in in from Haaland's five goals. I mean, when that when that double act is on song, they will take some stopping. And I have to say, all the talk afterwards was whether they can repeat that treble. Um, it's it's sending out big statements like that in the FA Cup, isn't it? It's sending out big statements against your fierce rivals who are threatening and promising to knock you off your perch. I mean, you know, that's going to be the already, isn't it? That's going to be the headlines sort of on on Monday morning if City win. So you know. I mean, where do you where do you think City are? Oh, well, they're in a good place. I mean, what was more ominous? I didn't see the game. I I, I was um, against Luton. I, I was uh, Ewood Park that night, but I, I did listen on the way home in the car to some interviews from that game. And what was just as ominous as Harlan's um, five goals were, were were his were his words, where he was saying like, you know, I feel like I'm you know I'm getting there in terms of fitness and form. We're getting there. We're coming for you. I thought it was a brilliant interview, which suggested that you know. I think when he when he came back, Harlan from his his break, his injury break, I think probably a bit too much was expected of him. You, you know, he he obviously is an athlete who who takes some getting fit. Again, you, you know, he, he's um, takes some getting back to match sharpness, and he certainly looked like he was in match sharpness um, at Luton. Um, so. In that sense, they're in a good. The, the, the ground out. I think Pep will be as pleased with the the one nil wins that he's had in the last couple of games in the Premier League as he will with those those times when they win four, five, or, or six. You know that showed that even though they weren't playing well, they've got over that. They've kept tabs with Liverpool because it's an incredible amount of points again that Liverpool are consistently amassing. So they've kept touch with them. And now they're going into a spell of games, starting with the Manchester derby, and obviously they they have Liverpool the weekend after that. They go into a spell of games where you know Jack Grealish apart, um, and uh, they they've got a reasonably clean bill of health, certainly in comparison to Liverpool. So you know they you have to look at that dispassionately and think, well, you know they've got a real they, they, they've got a real edge here in terms of physical fitness. They've got okay, they've got. Um, a, a game against Copenhagen next week, but that's the second leg in the three-one off from the first. You know that, that's a game that he can probably rest a couple of players for. So they're in a good position, and the results of Kenilworth Road is the type of result that, while everyone expected them to go there and win, 
no one expected really them to, to put on that sort of show. And it will give them a lift. And I think they will be energised by the fact that we're coming to that stage of the season where everything's on the line. And, you know, the, the talk about Liverpool Arsenal flying at the moment, I think they'll be energised by that battle. I think it'll be close. And just going in, John, in, into this game on, on, on Sunday, you know, I was in Old Trafford for the, the defeat against Fulham. As I say, I only saw the highlights of Tuesday's game for Manchester City. And if you look at that and put two and two together, you caught with an absolute beating for Manchester United, don't you? I mean, I mean, it's as simple as that. But we all know things don't work out that way. But um, I think United, I mean, should be, I'm not saying fearful because they won't be, but very, very, you know, the, Eric Ten Hag needs to come up with a plan. Let's put it that way. He needs to come up with a plan for Kevin De Bruyne and he needs to come up with a plan for Erling Haaland. Let's see how he does it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, blimey, it is, it's fr- it was frightening, really. I thought City were just absolutely awesome. You know, it was, all the talk, you know, has been about whether they can do the treble again. And also making history with that four successive title. I mean, when I when I see City play like that, I mean, I, I, I listen. I, I think my favourite player of the year so far, and um, who would be my favourite um, player of the year, um, football writers, you know, football of the year. And so, you, you know, the PFA um, judgment, I I would go for, at the moment be be going for Rodri, and Rodri was playing at Luton, you know, I mean, Rodri is, I just think he's been absolutely sensational. He's been a colossus and he's run games. I think the only person that maybe arguably comes close to him, it might be right now is Declan Rice, similar position, you know, but it's, you know, I just, I just think City are masters, aren't they? Uh, uh, basically timing those runs to perfection, timing those winning runs to perfection and basically just hitting top gear when they need to, when the, when the serious cups kick in, you know, so the trouble is very much on, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Well, I, I personally don't think that I, I, I still believe that the Liverpool win the title. I think um, despite all the injury problems, I think they've got something there now at the moment, a a character and a momentum there going at Liverpool that I think will, 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 will will take them to the Premier League title, really. I think City will drop points. I do think City are vulnerable. You know, I, I do think they will... OK, they've kept a couple of clean sheets in the Premier League uh, in their last couple of games. However, before that, and against Luton, they've shown a vulnerability at the back that I think can be exposed. I expect United, for example, to get some joy on the counter-attack on, on Sunday. I, I really do. They, they, they've done it before at the Etihad. I do think that's the way they'll play. They, I mean, inevitably, City will have... I would, if I had to give you a number now, I'd say 70% possession on Sunday. and But United will play on the counter, and I think they'll get joy on the counter. And I think that the, the same will apply when City go to um, go to Anfield and when Arsenal come to City. So I, I do think, I do think that, that, that maybe subconsciously City's priority, I know we talk about the, the double treble and about... Um, a fourth consecutive Premier League. I just think there's something that that, that, that strikes me that that if they have to prioritise one thing, it would be the retention of the Champions League. I mean, what an achievement would that would be? People will probably disagree with me, but I genuinely believe that if they retain the Champions League and don't win another trophy, don't win the Premier League, don't win the FA Cup, but retain the Champions League, I think that will still represent a fantastic season for Manchester City. I know a lot of people will think if they don't win multiple trophies, it's not been a great season. It will be if they retain the Champions League. I think that will be their priority. And I think that will allow 
Liverpool or Arsenal to nick it, and I think Liverpool will. But you know, what a race we've got! I mean, what a race we've got! It's incredible, isn't it? Brilliant, yeah, fabulous. Yeah, fabulous. Three horse race to actually genuinely have three three teams in it. I must say, to you know, a few weeks back, I thought Arsenal would would fall away, maybe, and you know, it might also be the test of Liverpool's resources. Um, and listen, it might still be. I, I still think uh, trying to go, trying to balance for uh, trophies and the demands of that fixture list, and particularly with injuries, might be Liverpool's Achilles' heel. Particularly, you know, when you see, you know, Salah and Nunes not being able to start games as as they weren't at Wembley. Are they carrying injuries? That, yeah, they probably are, really, from fatigue. And then Jota and and, and Alexander Arnold, you know, facing spells out. It's it's going to be difficult, isn't it? Really. Yeah, 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 and, and they're out for a while, John. You, you, you know, then the likes of Alexander Arnold um, and Jota and Curtis Jones. Now, okay, you know, they, they've got replacements there who've done who've done well. Conor Bradley's done fantastically well. I mean, brilliant. I'm um, coming in for yeah, well, essentially deputising for Alexander Alexander Arnold and someone like Curtis Jones. You know, you wouldn't see him as an automatic choice anyway. So, but what it does, and it's, don't forget, there's players such as. Thiago, you know, you know who's missing. Joel Matip who's missing. These are long-term injuries that you know they build up. I think, and Liverpool, I mean, you know, managed to overcome that when they won the first trophy at Wembley last Sunday. But you do wonder. I agree with you. How long that can go on for? You, you, you know, how long? Um, again, it's not paper over the crash because that would do a disservice to the young players who've come in. But, you know, you can't expect that to happen every single game in, game out. However, I just think, you know, and I know this sounds this sounds like this is talking of the intangibles, but, you know, you, you go down to, you go to Anfield or you go to the training complex to do, you know, your, your press duties, and there's just a feeling around it, a feeling around this, you know, that, that it's almost, again, it sounds almost daft, but it, it, this feeling that it, it, it's almost scripted that this is how Klopp's farewell tour is going to go, you know, and and if there's one man who can write the scripts, he can, can't he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's fantastic. Let's go back to Man United, Andy, because, you know, how far away are they? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it, it probably felt a long, long way after Fulham, didn't it? I mean, you know, let's not, let's not paper over this and basically let's not forget that it was a few days after so Jim Ratcliffe's bold claim, we're going to knock City off their perch, you know, well, blimey, they couldn't even knock Fulham off theirs, you know, so let alone, you know, making that. And then you've also had Old Trafford into the mix, you know, the, the development or redevelopment of that, who's going to pay for that. And feels like United have got a lot on their plate, basically, to get anywhere remotely close. How long will it take? Oh, I mean, I mean, I mean so Jim Ratcliffe, you know, um, in his interview, um, interviews um, suggested the three years. I mean, it would be remarkable if they became the dominant force in English and European football in three years' time. It just, it's just not going to happen. You know, it is not going to happen as long as Pep, for example, stays at City, which isn't a given. But even so, even so, you just cannot see the state of the squad. And don't forget, you've got now a powerhouse at the Emirates with Arteta, who's going to be there for. You know, you would envisage a long time. Um, you've got three powerhouse clubs now whose squads are great, whose infrastructure behind the scenes is really good. 
I mean, really good. I mean, you think, you know, Liverpool with their new stadium now, I say new stadium, redeveloped about Anfield Road, 60,000 people in there now. They've got a great setup behind the scenes, great setup. But it's going to take, if it takes three years for them, if they knock Liverpool and City off their perches, and, and he should include Arsenal in this, by the way, as well, then it would be a miracle inside three years. They've got so much to do, it's untrue. And that really was, certainly the game last weekend against Fulham, um, I was at that game. I wasn't at the one on Wednesday. But um, um, but at Old Trafford was absolutely. I mean, I, I was. I, I wasn't. I wasn't shocked, but I was surprised a little bit at how. You know, they don't seem to have developed that much. They had a good run of results, but again, during that good run of results in the Premier League, I was at a couple of those games and they were lucky to win. They were saying lucky to win, for example, Aston Villa when they won two one and were played off the park basically by Aston Villa, and that and that sort of. Performance came home to roost against against Fulham, and the more you think about what Jim Ratcliffe said um, in those um, in his introducing himself after um, formally taking co ownership, if you think of what he said, I mean, there's so many things in there that that, that now you think, it, for example, he wasn't particularly, you know, effusive in his in his praise of Eric Ten Hag, and that is the big thing, isn't it? If he's given himself three years. Let's imagine that United now, as seems likely, are going to miss out on the Champions League um, next season. I mean, doesn't that just set his three-year plan back at least a year? Uh, does he? He has a decision to make now, Jim Ratcliffe, and he's clearly not scared of making decisions. You don't get to where he's got without. Um, if you're scared of making decisions, he's not. He's making big decisions. He's gone to get the city chief um, operating officer. He's gone to get. Dan Ashworth, and there'll be others. He's not afraid to make a decision, but he's got one to make. He's got one to make very soon. He's got one to make at the end of the season. That is Eric Ten Hag, the man that Sir Jim Ratcliffe, Sir Dale Brailsford, Dan Ashworth, when it's finally confirmed, Omar Barada, is Eric Ten Hag the man they see as the coach who will take United forward? Will he be the man, the coach who can cross swords with Pep Guardiola, who will probably be there next year with Mikel Arteta, who will be obviously not Klopp now, but whoever takes Klopp's place, Xabi Alonso, is Eric Ten Hag the man for that? And he's got that decision to make. And they, and, they, and they'll make that judgment based on things such as what happened on 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 against Fulham um, in the last Premier League game when they were completely utterly, you, you know, um, insipid basically. And and is he getting the best out of him? That, I don't know. There's the other thing, John, as well about the style of play, which you also mentioned that, 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 that I think that, that that's a red flag when he mentioned, Ratcliffe said, we'll come up with a style of play, we being him, Sir Dave, um, recruitment figures and director of football, and the coach will play that way. I mean, I, I'm not sure that's that will go do, down too well with a Pep or a Jürgen, but we'll see. But no, he's got a big decision to make on Eric Ten Hag, and he's got to make it, you know, one way to the, the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, it does seem very slow and laborious, doesn't it, right now? With, with and I, I, I mean, I have to ask you because you've seen a lot of him. Also, there's the, then there's loads of minor, th- see minor. There's loads of subplots. So, for example, and you see a lot of them in England. You've dealt with him, Marcus Rashford. What's going on? I mean, honestly, uh, for me, everything is is revealed in Rashford's body language. He he, he looks a player unhappy. He looks a player that's just not functioning. He looks a player that's not pushing himself. Why is that? You know, is that a relationship issue with with Ten Hag, as is being suggested? You know, and 
I, I do I do feel that there you know are complex issues here. I mean, it's interesting. I was talking to someone the other day about Rashford and sort of kind of what he's like on you know, sort of when he's engaging and sort of kind of when he, when he, even when he does sort of kind of things like media interviews, you know, how he can be completely, you know, um, very uh, sort of kind of almost sullen, a bit quiet, a bit difficult. And then all of a sudden he gets in the room and he's like a light, a light bulb flick flicks. And basically all of a sudden he's good to go, you know? And so basically he definitely chooses his moment and, there have been games this season where it felt like a mirror of that, frankly. You know, before the game, you thought, well, he's out of form. And then all of a sudden he produces and basically he produces goals, assists. You know, he did the same at, at Wolves, for example. You know, a game at Molyneux that I was out a few weeks back uh, on the back of, you know, troubled times and sort of, you know, a big night out in, in Belfast. But frankly, there's been far, far too few occasions. He's been woefully inconsistent. He's been, you know, his, his his stats leading up to the contract were astonishingly good. You know, XG, you know, goals, you know, um, everything was, he was playing out his skin. He was chasing the contract. We can't hide away from that. And as soon as, as soon as that's come this season, he's just tailed off horrendously. You know, he's in a really poor place, I think. And listen, I think if you were judging people on form, he should be worried about his England squad place. Let alone his place in 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 the team, I do think he goes in the England squad, and that keeps it sort of fit and firing. But I, I can't see a scenario where he starts right now. He's miles off it, and I think you know United have to take a judgment on that. You know, the United have to say, you know, this is not it's not for us. You know, basically, we you know, if you're not interested, if you can't deliver on a regular basis, is it time to part ways? Because that's it's just not the attitude to have, even if it's even if it's not the right manager for him. I don't like that attitude. He's still got to give his heart and soul for United, which I don't feel he is, to be honest. I I, I totally agree on the last point. Well, I, I agree and disagree. But what, well, I I agree that in terms of looking as though he's given his heart and soul, it just doesn't look that way. In the last game I saw him, which was I saw him in the game against Fulham, on at least two occasions. I looked at there was a situation where I thought there was a there was a, a loose ball and it was him and a, an opponent. And I thought on at least two occasions he was the odds of him winning the ball should have been 70-30 in his favour. And on both occasions he didn't and didn't even come close. And to me, I looked at that and I thought, that's just not right. I mean, that really is not right. On your point about them thinking, well, it's a time to part ways. Again, I agree. However, you look at it and think, well, where where does he go? He's, he's, he, you know, he's got over four years left on a contract that's worth, you know, three hundred and fifty grand a week. You know, who's taking that on? You know, who's going to pay, for example, the hundred million banded around? Interestingly, on your England points, I think that's really interesting because I think that, strangely enough, over the last, I don't know, twelve eighteen months, probably the best games I've seen him have may have been in an England shirt. He's doing well with England, you know, and, and considering, as you well know, partly, you know, his his relationship with England and, you know, Southgate hasn't always looked the smoothest of times. Gareth uses him a lot as a substitute. I didn't realise this until I checked his stats, that he doesn't trust him to start a game very, very often. And not, and not just Gareth. In fact, he, he, um, that applied to, well, it applied to Roy Hodgson at 2000. And, I mean, Marcus Rashford's been to four tournaments with England. 
four tournaments, you know, which is incredible considering, you know, such a young man. Four tournaments. But he's only started, I think, three games in those tournaments. And two of those games were games that were essentially dead rubbers. Um, if you remember, we played Belgium after already qualifying. And I think the last one in the World Cup, we played against Wales. And so, he, you know, it, and of course, you remember Marcus cried off a cramp and then went to New York, whatever. So it's a, but I do think that he can be used as an impact player for England. You know, I think that's why why Southgate will keep faith in him because, you know, with, with 15 minutes to go inside legs, he's useful. But at the moment, for United, you know, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't get it to be honest with you. I just don't see, and, and this, this isn't just me, you, you know, you know what it's like. You're sat in a stadium. And every fan in the stadium is saying the same thing, you know. Can, can it will basically, and, and of course, clips go viral of him not pressing hard enough, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And as I say, you just do wonder if the story is about, you know, his relationship with Ten Hag, who we know can fall out with players. We know that, you know, that, that's that's now a matter of record. You just wonder if that's um, if that's something else that, that 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 might play a part, might even play a part. I'm not saying it should, might even play a part in the decision of whether, you know. Well, it, it will be thrown into the mix when when the hierarchy is deciding whether Ten Hag is taking United forward or not. Yeah, no, that'll be interesting to see. Right, here's one for you. Mm-hmm. Chelsea, start of next season, no matter what happens for the rest of the campaign, Maurizio Pochettino, Chelsea manager or not? Yes. Yes, it will be. I mean, it, it will be. And you know, and you know, um, my my, my, you know, I, it's almost become a bit, a bit of a, a standing joke that the that the, the reporters and writers from certain parts of the uh, of the British Isles, compared to those um, in um, in um, cafe society in uh, in London, um, have different views of Pochettino. Well, slightly different views of Pochettino. Anyway, you know, it's very easy just to look at his trophy record and say, well, he's only won whatever he won in France, and, and that's it, basically. Um, it's very easy. It's very easy to look at his, um, the defeat against Liverpool last Sunday and point the finger at him. And and I am one of those who, who are who believe that his reputation and the aura that surrounds him, I'm slightly mystified as to how that um, builds up. I mean, I, I do know. I mean, because I watch Spurs often enough under Pochettino to know that he builds a thrilling squad who were capable of challenging, who came close, who played great football, and who represented the club very well. And he's a nice guy who who clearly gets his teams playing playing well. So I do understand that. But I do think that he should be given um I mean I, I mean listen, it, 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 this this sounds fanciful, but you know, and and the the type of situation that he inherited, that he walked into which was slightly unprecedented, really, in terms of the amount of players signed and the the length of contracts these players were under, the the, the, the absolute chain of, of transfers coming in and going out. Um, I think that was relatively unprecedented. So I think that I would like to see him given 18 months, i.e. this season as a whole, and then, you know, the first half of next season, having had another summer to what counts for summer in football these days, bear in mind, most of them be off to the Euros, to wherever, and then off to the States on pre-season tour. But I think give him this season, the summer, and then take a judgment, you know, even if it's a dozen games into next season, if if, if he hasn't by then established. Because what I, what I thought about the Liverpool game, for example, was that 
it's, it, it, you know, when you actually break it down, that game last Sunday, you know, Chelsea had plenty of chances to win that game. You know, I, I probably played played another 10 times with the same personnel. They, they might win that game seven times out of that 10. They, they, they had a lot of chances in the second half, particularly the second half of the second half to go and win that game. But what the difference was, you know, and I think it's been a bit overblown. Like, you know, it's a bit harsh to call them bottle jobs and Liverpool, you know, brilliance. It wasn't quite like that. But, um, but that, that's on cold reflection. That's how, that's how, that's how it's seen on the day. But when you reflect on it, really, what you had there was a Liverpool team that, and the Liverpool squad, the Liverpool club, and let's say club, that has had, you know, I mean, seven, eight years under Klopp. And it, that squad, the team, the squad, the club, had that was at Wembley on Sunday had Jurgen Klopp's um, fingerprints all over it. It had, it was, it was in his character. It was the image of Jurgen Klopp. Now you can't expect Pochettino to impress that sort of thing on such a a disparate group of players within. Within a season, I don't think. I mean, again, and that's being idealistic, maybe on my part. I don't. I think he needs more than a season to sort out the project that Top Bowley has has put into place because it's one that will take a lot of patience um, and a lot of developing. Um, and I think he needs time, basically. I hope he gets time. I think he should get time. I, I think he deserves time, and I also think there's things happening in that squad that make me think, you know, yeah, he could build a team from that. And when I say a sort of a team, I mean a structure. But I don't see him being in charge for the start of next season. I just don't. I just think the turnover at the, t- at the club, historically, but also I just don't think he smacks to me like a man who's particularly enjoying life and resonate. I don't know. I, lo- I love Poch, as you know. You know, I am one of the... I'm the what, founder member, secretary, chairman, and life president of the Poch Appreciation Society. But I, I don't know. I, I hope, I hope he, I hope he gets time because I do think he, he would be a very good man to build up a young team and a young squad. But I just feel, I don't know whether he can succeed with that. Everything that goes on ground at the moment, I don't know whether Pep Guardiola would be able to succeed really right now. I think they're just basically, you know, it's so much about the structure behind the scenes, but I hope Poch is in charge and start next season, but I don't think so. I find that, I find that fascinating, you know, because I mean, you're closer to Chelsea than I am. And I find that fascinating. So, but when I do Chelsea and the odd game that I've done Chelsea, I have seen that in, I've actually thought, well, I wondered if he already is actually thinking, you know what? This is the wrong job for me, or I'm the wrong guy for this job. You, you, you know, wrong man, wrong time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whether or not, then I think, well, I wonder if he's gone in there and thought, you know, I looked around, saw what's going on in the boardroom, saw all the signs, thought, actually, I'm the wrong man for this. But then if that's the case, and it just happens, he just happens to be not a good fit, who on earth would be a good fit for that job? I know. That's the biggest problem. That's the problem. No, who honestly, honestly, no, absolutely no idea. Absolutely no idea. He just said something to me interesting this, you know, this week was basically no one put a gun to our head and said, you know, basically pointed at it and said, sign here. No one forced us to take the job. But basically, you know, he, he saw it as a challenge. I'm just not sure that it's 
still enjoying it. But there you go. Anyway, let's let's move on to Everton. Our final subject, Andy, because it's it's been an amazing week again at Goodison Park. Really, I mean, listen, I for what it's worth, you know, I I think I've said previously on the show, I felt as if it would be reduced. I thought that was general feeling within football um, to and be reduced to six points. I think kind of common sense has prevailed. Um, you know, some of the fallout, you know, the criticism of, 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 of the commission and sort of kind of those findings on technicalities has been telling. But it says to me, Andy, that basically also that they're setting a benchmark here, that basically six points is your new, is your new kind of platform. So, you know, I wonder whether Everton will get slightly less because, you know, the, on the next charge, because it sort of kind of, you know, impinges upon the previous. So, you know, the previous must play into the current. I wonder whether Forrest think, wow, okay, we're really nervous now because basically if six points is the is the starting point, you know, we're, we're in trouble because obviously they're, but, you know, Someone reminded me yesterday, blimey, Brennan Johnson, if that's their defence, that he couldn't sell him quick enough. That didn't stop him playing early course of the season. And he actually played, you know, I think he scored in one game. So good luck with that defence. But um, I, I don't know what, what you made of it. It's common sense, yeah? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I find it, I mean, it, 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 it's, and you know what's strange enough? It, 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 it is actually, I, I know people, people, Right, right. And, and Everton fans and football fans are this terrible being played out in the in the in the legal process. I get all that, and it's you know we could have the scenario at the end of the season where the actual final table doesn't become the final table, and I get all that. But I, I do find it quite fascinating um, what's going on here. But you're right on the first of all, yeah, you're you're right. Most most of us and most people um, within football um, expected the the 10 points to, well, to become six. That was generally what most people thought. But what I think is the the, the first thing about that judgment that, that, that strikes me is that it, it, it actually came across as a good result for Everton in that they got four points back. They moved to um, 25 points um, and, you know, a 15th in, in the table. You know, that's good. Um for them, it comes across as good, but but let's face it, it was no, it was no defeat for the Premier League by far from it. You know, the four points were given back because of the commission's um, errors, um, and the Premier League. Now, if you if you'd have said before the original Everton hearing that they were going to be deducted six points, you would have thought that that's a really, really strict, strict, harsh punishment. But now we're thinking. Right, okay, well, six points is now the benchmark. But we would have thought, if you just said, you know, I mean, deducting points from a Premier League club, you know, I mean, I mean it, it is the ultimate sanction. And if you'd have said, as I say, before that first PSR hearing, Everton going to get six points, you would have said, well, that's an unbelievably drug, you know, that's, that, the Premier League would be happy with the strict nature of that. So I think in that sense, both the Premier League and Everton would have been content with the judgments. The ramifications now, as you say, are the second hearings, Everton 2 and Nottingham Forest 1. So the Everton 2, I think you're correct. I mean, this again, it's guesswork to a certain extent, but educated guesswork. If 6 is is, is the is the tariff, um, then obviously the three-year cycle that they're being judged on this time includes 
two of the years they've already been punished for. So I think Everton's hope is that they that will then be reduced by two thirds, which would mean two points. Uh, you know, a two-point penalty. Against that, of course, if you're a repeat offender, then some, you know you would normally, in, in normal law, get, get extra sentence. But I think Everton will think that on that logic, two points would be would be right. I agree with you on Forest. Must be thinking because you know their defence. They don't seem to from from what what you hear about what their defence is going to be. I'm not saying that'll stand up. Certainly not if Everton's didn't in the first instance when they were citing COVID and stadium fees and stuff like that. I don't think, you know, Forrest is going to be any more robust than Everton's was, so you would think six. But the difference there, which is that Forrest, of course, only one set of those three years are in the Premier League. You know, they joined the Premier League um, in 2022, so there's only one year of Premier League accounts, the EFL uh, this is where it all gets calm because it's judged differently. And a lot of people are telling me now that they, that they think that Forrest will, will, will not be in the six-point mark, but will be in the two- or three-point mark because there's a, there's only been this one year in the Premier League. So so, so let's wait and see. But I think what, what, what's beyond doubt is that – I think what's beyond doubt, I, I may be pretty wrong, but I mean, I think everyone will accept that Everton and Forrest have admitted the breaches are both going to be deducted points again in mid-April. Then of course with the rise of appeal that comes in um, and can go beyond this, you know, the, the hearing can go beyond the end of the season, but will be applied to this season's table. That's yeah, what I all the lawyers claim. I think it's a farce, you know. Uh, basically, the season might not be ended on the final day. Basically, I think it's an absolute farce. Listen, I'm not saying that it's, you know, I'm not blaming anyone for that. Bar the clubs, because that that's that's the thing that I really annoys me. And basically, you know, listen. My annoyance comes large, you know, quite a lot amongst sort of kind of colleagues who are writing pieces damning the Premier League, uh, and so you know, you know, you, you always say to a friend of the Premier League, "I'm not really," but all I'm saying is that I just think, hang on a minute, you know, don't ever go at the Premier League, have a go at Everton's owners, you know, and it's that—that's the point. I, I honestly, I, I read a piece by a colleague this week and sort of on another paper and. You know, I love to bits, but you know, saying, "Oh, God, victory for the fans!" You know, embarrassment for the Premier, League. the Premier League must learn this. What? What? You know, honestly, that's ridiculous. Take. You know, it's basically that is so stupid. I'm listening to one of the best podcasts. You know, um, at the moment that I've heard in, in a while, Everton. Nothing will be the same on the BBC. It's brilliant, great listen, and um, but it reveals the full anger and desperation of those Everton fans saying that we are heading Farmageddon, basically, and they're you know campaigning, protesting against the owners the way that the club is being run. They know what's going on. So let's not patronise them by saying, oh, you know, have your points back. Because they knew the score. They were campaigning against it because they could see the way it was going. And and yet, you know, we should be lambasting the, the running of Everton Football Club because one of Everton, one of the great clubs of English football, being, you know, I mean, hauled around like this is just embarrassing. They deserve so much better. But don't have a go at the Premier League over it. The rules are pretty clear. But, I, I you know, and it's, it's, have a go at Everton's ownership for the pain and suffering that they've inflicted upon the fans. Let's stop patronising the Everton fans because they knew the score. Yeah, I, I, and I agree. And, of course, you know, I'm sure in in, in when we meet again next week, week after week after, at one stage we'll be talking about the... The, the takeover by 777, if it, 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 if it ever happens, and, and the doubts that 
a lot of Everton fans have about that. But I agree, Joe. And then, and and then again, one one simple overarching point in all this when when you're talking about blame or whatever in Premier League, people just have to remember. I'm, I'm sure people have to remember what the Premier League are the clubs themselves. You know, it, it, it was the clubs themselves who wanted this sort of thing done in season. It was the clubs themselves that that decided, you know, when their accounts would have to be submitted so they could be dealt with in season. It, it, it was the clubs themselves that wanted, the, the, you know, it, it applicable now. So they've agreed these timetables, and and, and now that and now they're stuck with them. And and, and of course, of, and and of course, they agreed these rules. You know, it makes me laugh now because I'm reading stories this morning saying that, like, you know, so many clubs are now running scared of PSR and, you know, fearful of this and whatever, and it's so strict. They agree these rules. I mean, they, they agree the rules. It's a private members club. There's 20, 20 clubs and they agree the rules. Yeah. I know what 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 struck me. I know the piece you're meaning, but basically what struck me about that is that in the past, I do feel as if clubs thought, okay, so if we overspend a bit, we'll just, it'll be a. 15 million fine or something like that. I think they thought we'd be into fine territory for a minor breach. Um, basically if we, so if we go the extra yard to sign that striker in January, we'll be all right. But basically where I think this is good and proper is that basically it's been set in stone. You break PSR, bosh. And honestly, at the end of the season, these outdated spending levels, and they are outdated, but basically they'll be revised, as will be the structure of it, and you'll see a complete overhaul. And I do think that's the, the, the other, you know, the other criticism of PSR is that basically, you know, will it, does it stop us, prevent us attracting the biggest stars, you know, from, from around the world? Well, you could make a case for that in certain ways, but I still think the Premier League is the best in the world and entertaining. But I do feel we've got to be careful, move with the times in terms of spending. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you. Listen, do, do does a club such as Real Madrid, and it might attract because of its very nature and its stature and its history and its you know it, it, it's just it, it, the allure of, of 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 the most successful club in European football. Does that still attract the megastars like Kylian Mbappe, Jude Bellingham? Of course it does. You know, and, and of course it does. The whole nature of the place will always attract it. But but you're right. Does in general the amount of top players coming to the Premier League will still be the highest um, in in club football? And just quickly going back to what you say there about clubs now being a bit more wary of it, I think what was what, one of the significant things about the if you read the sort of line by line detail of the appeal board's verdict, and you you mentioned now when we started this chat about it sort of setting a, a standard now, it was put in there, wasn't it? The, that basically now for these offences, there is no option other than a, a, a sporting sanction, and that's interesting, you know. And, and that's that, that's when Forrest must have looked at the thought. So, in other words, now that's it. You 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 breach these rules, and you don't have a really really convincing, ultra strong mitigation for breaching them. If you do. You get points deducted. That is now that is now the tariff, and and if that's why clubs are now showing more concern about it, then that can only be a good thing, can't it? One hundred percent, I agree. Mm. Andy, thanks for joining. Nice to see you always. Yeah. William, see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>